And that starts with simply remembering what you love. So a quick tool to help you get back in touch with this first intelligence, your heart intelligence, is just to start remembering what you love and say so out loud. I don't, I don't think that, that you're born with a gut. I think you're, the, the gut matures and, and uh, gets better and better over time. And what the struggle that most people have, I think, is learning to listen to it. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Chill and Ambitious, the podcast that points out shit you didn't know was relevant. I'm O. I'm No. And together we make... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so what are we getting into today? Well, you know, people always say that you should trust your gut. But have you ever done that and it just didn't work out so well? <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know people who like seem to, you know, they're just, they don't really think things through. And it just, you're like, what's going on there? I've been thinking with my gut since I was 14 years old. And frankly speaking... I've come to the conclusion that my guts have shit for brains. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about actually more about like what's going on there and your intuition. And actually that it's something like that you have to learn how to listen to or that there's different approaches to it that can get you more in touch with your gut so that... Um, you, you stop know, making you, such shitty choices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, so the reason why we're getting into this, uh, it was inspired by our guest today. Her name is Emily Fletcher, and she is both Mia No's uh, meditation teacher here in New York City, but she also teaches in LA, so she's on both coasts. And uh, yeah, why don't you say hi, Em? Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Um, could you, yeah, tell us. From your words, more about like what you do in terms of meditation? Yeah, sure. So I found this practice about nine years ago. I was on Broadway for 10 years. <laughs> I'm 87 years old, you guys. <laughs> meditation really helps with the anti-aging. No, I'm, uh, it sounds like I've been working a lot for a really long time, but I was on Broadway for 10 years and I have been meditating for nine. There was a little bit of overlap there. Um, but I found this practice and it just really transformed my life. It cured my insomnia on the first day. My my, I was going gray at 26 years old and now I'm 36 and I don't have any gray hair, which is nuts to me. I was telling you earlier, I haven't been sick in like eight years and I am so much happier now. <laughs> I used to be in sort of lame relationships and now I feel like my relationship was awesome. I got married in May and I owe a lot of that to meditation. And certainly it's turned up the volume on my intuition in a way that I never really thought possible. Um, but I know we're, we're going to dive into that. But So I have a studio here in New York. I teach in LA every few months. And I'm really proud of the fact that we, we created the world's first online meditation training. It's called Ziva Mind. And it's, it's a matriculation. It's eight days of video training and each day builds upon the previous day. And it gives people the tools to be self-sufficient meditators so that you have a practice that you can do anywhere, anytime. You don't need me guiding you through it. And, you know, we deal with like jet lag and insomnia and stress release and, you know, big performance. Performances and um, so that's all at zivamind.com. And it was fun because that was definitely an intuitive moment where just my gut was like, <laughs> look, the world needs this thing and it's you need to make it. 
And so I did. And it's it's fun to watch it evolve. That's so cool. Because yeah, it's 2015. And <laughs> we were lucky enough to be in New York City and, and be able to learn from you directly. Yeah, like but, two years ago now. Yeah, over two years. Whoa. Yeah. And also, P.S., like it was one year ago, almost exactly, that New York Times did a piece on us. I love yeah. that you guys oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were in, the, yeah. in the New York Times piece on meditation. And <laughs> it was like the first line was like, meditation has been good for Olivia Chapman. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was true. a funny experience. Yeah. Well, even with intuition, you were so, yeah, going ahead and doing Ziva Mind, but even how you got into meditation as a practice, it seems kind of like being able to listen to your intuition versus maybe these other like, things, your mind and expectations from society telling you what to do. Mm. You mean like finding the practice originally? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, I <laughs> I wish I could attribute that to intuition, but I, before I had a meditation practice, I didn't even, I, I knew the word intuition, but I had no idea what that felt like viscerally. Uh-huh. I, I didn't really know what it meant. He said, just listen to your gut. And I was an actress for my whole life. And that's all any acting teacher ever says. Mm-hmm. It's like, just go from your gut. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and, and so thankfully in my dressing room, I was doing a chorus line on Broadway and understudying three of the lead roles, which is pretty intense. It isn't over. That's what was giving me insomnia and making me go gray and making me like basically have like panic attacks listening to Eckhart Tolle underneath my dressing room table. It's hard to make yourself trust when your primordial condition is fear, which is the primordial human condition in the mind-identified state. (laughs) The girl sitting next to me in the dressing room had, had an even harder job than I did, and she was crushing it. I mean, every song this woman sang was a celebration and every dance she did was a celebration. I was like, girl, what do you know that I don't know? <laughs> she said, I meditate. I was like, come on. And she's like, no, seriously, it really helps my creativity, my intuition. It helps uh, me focus at work, helps my performance anxiety. And so I didn't believe her because this was almost 10 years ago. And then finally, I got so embarrassed about my performance. I felt like I was sucking at my job. And, and I was, P.S., doing the thing I wanted to do since I was a little girl. Like right. I was in yeah. the best musical of all time. And it was miserable. And so I finally went along to this intro to meditation talk and I liked what I heard. It made sense to me. So I signed up for this four-day course. It was two hours a day for four days. And on the first day of the first course, I was meditating. I had no idea what that meant, but I was in a different state of consciousness than I'd ever been before. And I liked it. And then that night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And I have almost every night since, and that was nine years ago. And then, you know, like stop getting sick, stop getting injured. My skin got better. My relationships got better. And I was like, why does everybody not do this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So left Broadway in 2009, went to India, started a teacher training process. And actually I'll tell you, this is a cool story. That's a little bit more, I'd say that how I became a meditation teacher was much more intuitive than how I I was practicing. Yeah, thinking. Yeah, so um, about a month after I learned to meditate, I was on tour with a chorus line and I was in LA and I was looking for other teachers. Um, just I just wanted to dive into the community. I wanted group meditations. I wanted to learn more. And so I emailed this guy who was a teacher and he's like, yeah, sure, come on over. We'll do group meditation at six. And I show up and it's just him and his girlfriend. And I was like, um, this is not the kind of group meditation <laughs> I was interested in. And he's like, oh, well, we were just going to meditate anyway, so you can join us. And I didn't know the community. I didn't know anything about it. So I like sat with my purse on my lap with like one eye open. Right, <laughs> Just right. convinced they were going to rob me or something. But they were, turned out they were very nice people. And at the end of it, I opened up my eyes and I saw this photograph of a bridge on his wall. 
And I said, what is that? And he said, that's Rishikesh. And I was like, what's a Rishikesh? <laughs> and he goes, this is a town in India. We do this retreat here every few years. Are you coming? And I was like, no. Wait, when is it? <laughs> and he said, it's February. And I knew my tour was ending in January and I was going to turn 30 in March. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. And so I just, I, like, I had no, no rational reason to go. No, nothing on paper, no left brain uh, intellect would have said go to India. So cut to a few months later, I'm in India and it's dawn and we were crossing this bridge that crossed the Ganges because we were doing a sunrise meditation on the banks of the Ganges, which is a very holy river in India. And I look and I, and I see this view and it was the exact same view from the bridge that was the photo in his apartment. And I stopped and I started sobbing, crying because I knew that the me in that moment had gone back to the me in LA and said, hey girl, you need to come here. Like this is your path. And I don't know any way to describe it other than, I mean, like that to me is intuition. It's sort of like when your future self comes back and says, hey girl, this is where you need to <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. And I, I started my teacher training and it's the hardest and the best thing I've ever done. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I love that story. Mm-hmm. It's like you must have felt connected to something that was beyond time mm-hmm. in some ways, like to be able to like see yourself there and then. Well, what's oh. interesting is that when you start meditating, you actually at least, so what I teach at Ziva, the basis of what we teach is Vedic meditation, V-E-D-I-C, comes from the Sanskrit word Veda, which means knowledge. Uh, we also teach mindfulness techniques as well. Like we basically make this ancient technique very relevant for, to people's modern lives. Um, so we do a combination of Vedic meditation and mindfulness. Um, but the basis of it, Vedic meditation, um, you're basically accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness, which is different than waking, it's different than sleeping, and it's different than dreaming. And so when you move beyond your waking state of consciousness, you are, it's like you move beyond your left brain and into your right, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more today. Um, but when you move beyond your left brain, you actually move beyond the realm of time, because time is a function of thought. Mm -hmm. right? Like we humans are the ones that decided that there's 60 chunks in an hour. We humans are the ones that decided that there's 24 chunks between the time that the gold ball goes up and the gold ball goes up again. And we didn't nail it because we have leap year and we keep changing the atomic. (laughs) Right? So like time is not a natural law. Time is a human interpretation of a series of nows. And so if you move beyond the realm of thinking, then you also move beyond the realm of time. So when you start a meditation practice, your relationship with time changes. and, And I would definitely say that your relationship with your intuition changes. Definitely. Actually, my, it's funny. My roommate, um, one of my roommates, she always says like, she's like, if I'm in a bad mood, if I'm cranky or something, she's like, Noel, did you forget to do your second meditation today? Like she will call me out on it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> she's like, I you're so cranky when you talk. <laughs> like it changes everything about you. It's nice when the people around you start noticing it <laughs> and protecting it. And like my favorite is I have some single, I have a single mom client. She's like an executive at Intel and she's a single mom. I'm like, bravo lady. You're yeah. nailing it. Yeah. But she said her six-year-old son if she gets crankier in a bad mood, he's like, did you do your second meditation? He's like, nope. That's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, because you have to, then you start to feel like even more tired. Like if I don't do it, I'm like, oh, I'm so, I feel it. I, like it hits you like a ton where before you were just like running on steam or whatever. And now everybody's like, nah. Like you've shown me the good life. I'm not going back. <laughs> That's right. What happens there is that the meditation pretty quickly 
gets rid of the adrenaline and cortisol, which are actually stress chemicals. And that has been unsustainably propping most of us up for most of our lives. And when you start meditating and get rid of those stress chemicals, what we're left with is the truth. And most of us are dealing with a bit of a sleep debt. And so the meditation gives your body very deep rest. And over time, you know, you start functioning really uh, more efficiently. Uh, but if you skip your meditations, then your body's like, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like worse off than you were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like eating a really bad meal once you've tasted a five-star restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like what you're saying about time, though, because I, I think you've said this before to me where you're like, you are a time billionaire. <laughs> and it's really shifted how I just think about time in the sense of, you know, we have these like, oh, no, you're 30 now. Or like, oh, no, this is due in like tomorrow or whatever. And there's this sense that every minute is the same before, you know, like if I have two hours versus two days, as if that really makes a big difference when we all know, like, you know, the last hour, yeah. sometimes you do more work than you've done ever. Yeah. You know, or like you get so much. And so like, it's not like every minute is equal to every minute. And we've seen that so many times in our life. Mm. And um, I remember that just being like a shift in thinking about time or like, yeah, it's just I just feel like so many times you're like, how did so much happen in 2014 or how much? (laughs) (laughs) But part of it is that like you're, you're like, it feels different. Like, you know, when you're like, Oh, I should act on this now. Like I should work on this right now because like, I have, does that ever happen to you? Like where before it was like, I don't feel like it, but sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I feel really like really like my mind feels really clear. I should work on this right, right now and it'll be done and I'll never have to deal with it again. Mm -hmm. Whereas like before it was like, uh, and then yeah, you're like dealing with everything and you know how to start. But that comes from intuition though, which actually um, we're going to talk about like how your brain actually is kind of has like two systems set up. But so like you're basically, you have this old system, right? That's like your brain. It's, it's comes from a, I don't want to say prehistoric, but it comes from like um, a very like, old place primitive part very of your primitive brain. part of your brain there you go right and that's where your intuition comes from and then there's thought which is like your rational decisions or whatever your frontal cortex yes, yes. there <laughs> but um so there was actually this study done where they were they found that your body actually reacts like with instinct before your mind can like it's like proof that your mind that your thoughts have nothing to do with your instinct because um they had like basically they gave people two decks of cards and they were playing a game and the game is to like win the most, right? You're betting to win the most. And um, one deck of cards had a bunch of small wins, but barely any losses, essentially the way it was set up. But the other deck was rigged for high reward and then high loss. And it took people uh, about 50 cards to be able to realize that something was different between the two. And then 80 cards for them to be able to actually like explain what the difference was between the between the decks of cards but their palms actually started sweating every time they touched the risky deck by the 10th card so your bo- their bodies were like already sensing, ha- it. sensing it there was an in- there's like a sense of intuition that your body even has before you do and like so there's even an argument that you could train your body to pick up on your physical symptoms of intuition before that's so crazy. Right? Because <laughs> your mind's probably doing all sorts of rationale too. Probably being like, oh, it's probably not. Or like, I'm being weird for thinking this deck is whatever. Like, it's yeah. doing all sorts of weird like thoughts <laughs> before it comes to a conclusion. Where it's like, no, I this one's definitely rigged. Yeah. They call you Lady Luck. But there is room for doubt. Do you feel like, Emily, with... um? 
I guess with meditation, how, how do you feel like it helps with the intuition? Like, why does it work in that way? Yeah. So our, we have, if you look at a human brain, it splits right down the middle. 50-50. Okay. And there's the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And this is admittedly a gross oversimplification, but for the purposes of this podcast, it'll, it'll make sense. So the left brain is in charge of the past and the future. It's in charge of language, critical thought, analytical thought, math, balancing your checkbooks, navigation, all really important activities. But for most of us, we've been taking our left brain, our rational mind to the gym for a very long time. We think, we take action, we achieve, we make money so we can be happy in the future. We think, we take action, we achieve, we make money so we can be happy in the future. And the left, the left brain's job is to review the past and rehearse the future. That's its whole job. It's the advisory committee. Now, the right brain is in charge of the present moment. It's in charge of the right now. It's in charge of intuition, creativity, creative problem solving, connectedness, music, uh, color. All of these things are right brain phenomenon. And so, again, if you look at a human brain, it splits right down the middle 50-50. And I don't think that nature makes mistakes. I do not think that nature would have given us 50-50 if it wanted us to use 90% left brain and 10% right brain. So what meditation does is that it starts to take your right brain to the gym. And we can actually see this now. Like As advances in neuroscience have come along, we can actually see through neuroimaging what parts of the brain are lighting up when you're meditating versus when you're in your waking state. And you actually have a different brain when you're meditating than you do in your waking state for new meditators. But over time, what happens is that you start to increase your brain cohesion. You start to increase your brain elasticity because it stops being an either or phenomenon. It stops being either right brain or left brain. And over time of, of an everyday practice, the entirety of your brain starts to light up. So you're starting to use all of the faculties that you've been given. Now, I think the ego and the left brain and reason and rationale, it gets a bad rap in the spiritual community because everyone's like, just let go of your ego and let go of your mind and transcend your mind. And, and the reality is we need both. Okay, it's not an either or phenomenon. You need your left brain to be the advisory co committee. The, the thing where we mess it up and the thing where we get in the way of our intuition is that we're letting our left brain make the decisions, mm. right? And our right brain needs to be king. Mm -hmm. Our right brain has to be the, it's like, imagine if you have an actual king, okay? And then there's an advisory committee. The advisory committee is going to be, hey, king, uh, we lost this battle on this location on this day. There's a 90% chance we're going to lose it again, right? And then the king is like, yep, we're going in anyway. And it's the king's job to go on his gut or her gut to make those decisions. And that's what we want our intuition there for. Even when it doesn't make sense, maybe especially when it doesn't make sense, but you're getting that still small voice inside that says, turn right, turn right. Then your only job is to turn right because nature always knows better than we do. And it is our right brain that gets those downloads. That is the place where we receive these creative ideas, these creative problem solving ideas. They come from somewhere. And it's like, we're downloading them through our right brain. And meditation is the thing that takes that right brain to the gym. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember you explained this to me before and I think you said something along the lines of yeah, having the right brain make the decisions and then the left brain helping you to like implement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a video on our video blog and it's called, Are You Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock? And it's basically <laughs> in this analogy, Mr. Spock is the left brain. Captain, I strongly object. To what? I haven't said anything yet. Since we cannot take the ship from the outside, the only way we can take it is from within. And as a large boarding party would be detected, it is optimal for you to take as few members of the crew as possible. You will meet resistance, requiring personnel with advanced combat abilities and innate knowledge of that ship. 
This indicates that you plan to align with Khan, the very man we were sent here to destroy. And Captain Kirk's just like, yeah, we're doing it anyway, because he's just like young and intuitive. I'm not aligning with him, I'm using him. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. An Arabic proverb attributed to a prince who was betrayed and decapitated by his own subjects. Uh, still, it's a hell of a quote. If you watch the new Star Wars, it's actually as if your right brain and left brain are having a conversation with each other. And at the end of the day, it, it doesn't make the left brain of the advisory committee irrelevant. It's just that you gotta, your gut has to trump that. Well, isn't Star Wars? I did Star Trek. Star, oh yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek. Well, uh, oh, my <laughs> We're going to make a lot of people me. mad right my now. Divorce <laughs> me right now. He's like, what's going on? Yeah. Okay. No, so yeah, Star Trek. But here's an interesting note on Star Wars: <laughs> is that so? Apparently, like George Lucas was like one of my teacher's teacher's first students, and it's so funny because people take my my meditation course at Ziva, and they're like, "I watch Star Wars," and it's like yep. a whole new meaning now. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like Yoda was like based on my teacher's teacher. He's like a little, like always speaking in riddles and always smiling and giggling. <laughs> Great warrior. <laughs> Wars not make one great. <laughs> and, you know, they're pretty, and actually, the you know, Yoda's most famous saying, Do or do not. There is no try. That's straight out of the meditation playbook, right? Mm. You don't try to meditate. You either do it or you don't. You either take the course and learn how to do it and you do it or you don't. But what most people in the world are doing is that they're like, they never learn how to meditate. They never spend the time training. And then they're just try to meditate. They just try to sit down and stop their mind from thinking. And then they feel like they're failing and it totally sucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which I think is a big misconception that, mm-hmm. um, at least learning from you, uh, was for me. I had tried meditation a few different times before. And I think it was mostly mindfulness. And I did some Zen um, Buddhist meditation. And it was very much like, turn your thoughts off and it nothing makes me more angry than when you're in yoga and they're like stop thinking stop thinking stop (laughs) thinking and i'm just like it makes me so angry it's like you are making me anxious right now like (laughs) i came here to relax and i'm not gonna stop thinking like (laughs) right because here's the thing the mind thinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily so trying to give your mind a command to stop thinking is just as effective as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that there aren't techniques that will move you beyond the realm of thinking into the realm of being. There are. That's what I do. But you sitting down in a chair and being like, brain, stop it. Then you're going to be like, "Mm, I'm hungry. I want a snack. Like That was a thought. Wait, no, no, I'm thinking about how I'm thinking. And now I feel like I'm failing and now I quit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it feels defeat. Like this is supposed to be relaxing and it feels like you're being defeated. Like, yeah. yeah. And this is why most people in the world think they can't meditate. And the thing that I'm really passionate about is just letting people know that it's just like any other skill, right? If we were to say, all right, you guys, let's do a 21 day Japanese challenge, but none of us spoke Japanese. Like that would be a really silly thing to do. But if you know how to speak Japanese and you've taken the time to learn the language, then sure, speak it 20 minutes a day. And yet we get it a little backwards. Like people are challenging themselves to do something they don't yet know how to do. And then, and then it ends up feeling not yeah. so fun. Right. Yeah. And then I feel like a lot of people ask me like, why can't you just teach me like that whole thing? Mm-hmm. And I like, yeah, like I've never, like I understand the explanation. It's like, no, you actually have to commit to like the uh, doing the program so that otherwise it's not going to mean anything. It's going to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, like the same thing of like, oh yeah, one day I'm going to write a book, but never writing, you know, like never sitting down to write or like taking a writing class. You got to commit. Commit, yeah. Yeah. But it's actually not that, it's like a, not a hard commitment. 
But well, once you know what you're doing, yeah. then you look forward to it. Then it's yeah. like eating dark chocolate. You're like, my brain floods with dopamine and serotonin, <laughs> which are bliss chemicals. So it feels amazing when I do it. And then I perform so much better on the other side. Why would I not commit to that? Why do you, uh, why do you think though, when, you know, like there's this whole thing, like listen to your gut and, you know, we kind of open with this idea where like sometimes you listen to your gut and it may not work out so well, or maybe after some introspection, you kind of realize you know, maybe that wasn't your gut. Do you maybe feel it was like just your thoughts? Yeah, maybe it was your thoughts. I don't know. Do you have any um, perspective, Emily, on I guess how to listen to what your intuition really is and when it's something else? Or mm-hmm. so I, I have two answers here because one answer will be for people who have already cultivated a daily practice of either yoga or prayer or meditation or journaling or some way of getting still and listening. Because for those people, it's going to be a lot easier to listen to their intuition. But if you don't have a portal into that just yet, I, I, I just, it's a different set of instructions because I think it's very hard to hear your intuition when your critical mind is screaming. And so for it's most your critical people, mind. Yeah, like most people on the planet, it's like that left brain is screaming. You suck, you suck, you suck. You're going to die fat alone if cat's eating your face. You're too old. It's too late. <laughs> so it's really fear. Yeah, that's the left brain. It's fear. It's ration. It's reason. Yeah. It's, and, and intuition is the thing that's whispering. Write that book. Call that guy. Start that guy. A whisper in a loud room. Yes. That's what, yeah, that's what we talk about with Dina. Uh, yeah, 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 your intuition is a whisper. Absolutely, that's a great analogy. A whisper in a loud room, and so what meditation does is that it turns up the volume on your intuition and it turns down the volume on the critical mind, so that you have a fighting chance of hearing what nature is commanding you to do, because that's what intuition is. It's nature commanding you. That's crazy. You mentioned writing as an example of. Um, an outlet for being able to get that stillness and be able to start to hear more of your right brain. And I actually was reading a particular article that I thought was an interesting explanation for why another reason why writing uh, people find it therapeutic or that, you know, they always say journaling, you know, that you should journal some of your thoughts when maybe like you're being antsy. And it's uh, the explanation was given that, that your the actual physical act of writing is like giving your left brain something to do. So it's kind of distracting it from doing the normal hmm. critical thinking so that your right brain can be turned up a little bit. Hmm. And that's I was an interesting like, theory. yeah, yeah. I, I think that's sort of the point of the morning pages. Like if anyone has done, you know, the artist's way, the instruction there is that you wake up and every day you do three, three pages of, of morning pages. It's just like just getting the junk out. Yeah. And I think that is very much like a, it's, it's a way of dumping out the stress so that you can move beyond that and then hear the intuition. Um, you know, for my meditators, I definitely recommend that they wake up and meditate first, like clear out that adrenaline and cortisol, clear out those stress chemicals from your brain, flood your brain with bliss chemicals. And then if you're going to do your morning pages right from that space, because then you're bringing all of that into the, into the manifest, into fruition and not the other way around. Um, so, so here's some, some tidbits, some little tricks that people can play with when they're trying to figure out like what's my intuition and what's not. Um, if you do have a meditation practice and you're still questioning it, like, is this my intuition or is this fear? Usually you want to ask yourself, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. It's so simple. Okay. But asking yourself, what do I want to do? Not what do I think I should do? Not what's going to make me the most money. Not what does my mom want me to do? Not what did I want to do 10 years ago, but what do I want to do right now? And then listening for that answer, usually that thing is going to lead you 
in the, in the quote unquote right direction. Now the trick there is that if you're still being ruled by your left brain, then y- your addictions are going to be much louder than your intuition. So if you ask a heroin addict what they want, they'd be like, I would like some more heroin, please. You're asking an alcoholic what they would like, like I would like another drink, please. Yeah. And so we sort of have to do the preliminary work of, of moving beyond our addictions from quieting down that fear-based mind so that we even have a fighting chance of asking ourselves that question. What do I want to do? But usually our desires... Usually intuition is moving you towards something. Mm -hmm. And usually fear is the thing that comes right behind it, right? Write Mm -hmm. that book. You're too busy. Nobody cares what you have to say. You don't have enough time. No one buys books anymore. Mm -hmm. Call that guy. He's already got a girlfriend. No, he's not interested in you. He's too popular for you. He's too hot for you. You know, it's, it's always fear is the thing that comes right behind the desire. I really like there was, you had uh, Jeff Kober. Um, he taught in, or he, he led some group meditations here before. And there was something he said about like, um, that like really resonated with me that was like, your thoughts are not who you are. Like you have like this loud ego telling you all these shitty things all the time, but your thoughts have nothing to do with who you are as a person. They're mm-hmm. just thoughts. And like treating it that way is, was such like, it was, I don't know, it was such like a, like a, like mind blown moment for Good. me. But just like it, it, it's very much like that though. Yeah. That like you can observe you, them. You don't yeah. have to identify yeah. with all of your thoughts or all your emotions or. Yeah. Like you are not your hurdy poos. You are not your fears. <laughs> well, and you are 24 hour day bliss. <laughs> right. Just so we're really clear on that. <laughs> I like that you differentiated though about what you want to do and how that's like going towards something. Cause I think um, it was helpful for me at least when I think about like what do I want to do? Because sometimes you're, whether you're running away from something or towards Toward something. something. Oh. So sometimes you seem like you have an urge to be like, uh, okay, this is freaking me out and I want to run away from it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a legitimate fear and maybe you should. Maybe that's like an intuition there. But just most of the time, it seems more like, okay, versus being like, I don't, I, I don't want to not have enough money for tomorrow, whatever, versus being like, okay, I really want to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this is step two. Yeah. You want to move towards the positive, not away from the negative. Yeah. Right? So a lot, I used to teach acting, right? And so a lot of my acting clients would be like, Emily, I just, I can't handle it in New York anymore. My agent isn't sending me out and there's no work. I'm moving to LA. And I'd be like, good luck. Yeah. You're going to be back in a year. <laughs> because they weren't moving towards LA. They were moving away, away from, from New York. York. Yeah. It's, even so, though the motion is the same, the intention is totally different. Yeah. And, and so you can't move away from your problems. You have to move towards a solution. And this, is, this comes straight out of the meditation practice. Because inside of the meditation itself, you know, we move towards the technique, not away from the thoughts. And people who don't know how to meditate are just thinking, oh, I shouldn't have any thoughts and they're moving away from them. And so what you put your attention on grows. So if you're constantly watering the weeds then you're going to have more weeds, mm-hmm. what we have to do in life and in meditation is we start to, we want to water the flowers. We want to put our attention on the things that we want to grow. That's, a, that's another one. So what do I want to do? And then moving towards the positive, not away from the negative. That's really That's cool. like a really important differentiation too. I think especially people have that with their jobs specifically. It's always like, I hate my job. Well, what would you rather do? Like, And they will have no answer. Yeah, because no, and I, I've been guilty of it before yeah. too. And then you just take another job and then you hate it. And then it's like, no, what do I really want to do? Like, like, and then- And then you're here. And then now I'm here. <laughs> and actually I left my, wow, no, I like, no, I like was like, oh no. And it was really intentional about what I did after and it, it's totally changed my whole life. What you got, how you deal with it. And you get what you got, gotta live with it. In the spot, and it's hot, getting real with it. Don't you know that beneath this? Well, what's really cool about like, so Emily was talking about the left brain, right brain, and uh, their different functions. 
I really like this book, uh, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, and it's by Daniel Kahneman. And I, he actually talks about um, how the the right brain, yeah, it's it's thinking fast. It's the one that like uh, Emily was saying, like you know, you get that immediate thought, and then you have the negative uh, the negative responses afterwards, but the critical things. But even say like when you're problem solving, you can kind of think of like sometimes, you know, whether it's like taking a right turn or a left turn, you know, you may have some intuition that says like take a right turn or you could actually go to Google Maps or like calculate something of like how long, okay, like how long is it going to take? And it will give you all sorts of metrics about traffic and da da da, and it's making all these sort of numbers. And uh, people who get really good at uh being able to just guess it from their gut, it's usually from experience. So the example that he gives is actually Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing rebounder. Like that's not always... <laughs> People, yeah. It's one of the things that he's known for. I mean, there's some other things that overshadow it, but he was actually like an incredible rebounder. Uh, you know, he helped lead the Bulls to championship for like seven seven years. Well, interestingly, the you know, the Bulls coach is a meditator. <laughs> he taught them all to meditate. Michael Jordan meditate. And now he's working with the Knicks. They're all meditating now. Like, I mean, this Kobe is, like, is Kobe is a meditator, isn't he? Well, it's uh, I think so. Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah. The Seahawks, you know, they do anything. You gotta, yeah, you gotta choice. be on your game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so okay. I, yeah, I mean, that adds another twist to it. And you know, just I mean, if you're an athlete, they know this. Like, you just watch tons of videos of previous games of like other people doing it. You know, any sport that's like a pretty typical thing, and and it's some way of being able to download experience on top of the experience that you already have, but you're also witnessing over and over other examples of, for in his case, as a rebounder, the ball hitting the rim, the ball hitting the backboard and what it does. And so he just had this really intense intuition of being able to predict where the ball was going to go, where a computer would need to do a shit ton of calculus to figure out the same answers. And I mean, a computer could do it pretty fast with our service today, but like he's doing these in snap judgments in real time. And so yeah, those are two different ways uh, these parts of the brain work. And that's if you have a lot of, I guess, exposure to um, experiences. I guess part of the explanation that uh, this book gives, though, to when maybe our snap judgments aren't necessarily accurate and sometimes can even be hurtful. He even gives pretty much this whole explanation for racism, why that happens. Because, you know, we see enough media of like, Cognitive people, bias. Cognitive bias. And, you know, we go in these gut reactions, like we see someone, all of a sudden, you know, we immediately think all these horrible stereotypes about them, even though we don't know anything about them. Or, you know, uh, there's an experiment where they literally ask people, um, how is your dating life? And then they ask them, how is your life? And so that just primes someone to start thinking your dating life equals your how's life. your life is going. Versus they didn't ask that question before. So these were all mothers that were asking. And so I wonder though, I guess I was trying to find a connection to see if like when you reduce stress, if you're better at overcoming these cognitive biases. 100%. So basically like going to the athletes, right? Like oh, what they're interested in is the flow state. And I love it because all the biohackers now are talking about flow state. Mm -hmm. And all float state is, is waking up your right brain. It's operating, it's letting your intuition trump your critical mind. That's mm -hmm. what flow state is. And, and the thing is like athletes, they afford themselves the opportunity of being in flow state because they practice so much. They get it in their body. They, they think about it. They use their critical mind. They 
practice, they have rehearsal, you know, they do, they work out their left brain so much, almost like the left brain gets exhausted and it just goes into their muscle memory. So when they're in the game and the adrenaline mm. is flowing, it's, it, it's, it transcends thought and it goes on instinct. And then you'll hear any good athlete, that game played me. Any amazing performer, that song sang me. That book wrote me. Um, I have a friend who wrote a book in six days and then he had to go to the hospital <laughs> because his whole nervous system was totally fried. But that book just came right through him. So anyone who's accessed this flow state, they know that it's, it's not about shutting down your mind. It's about waking up your right brain so that it transcends thought. Uh, but Phil Jackson is the name of the coach who, who you know, right. worked with the Bulls and now he's at the Knicks. And, um, and he has a, a book called like 11 Rings. And he also has an, another book specifically about meditation and what meditation techniques he uses with his athletes. Oh, I didn't know he was I've taught that few, into it. Yeah, I've That's taught a cool. few. And they do like, they'll have whole days of silence. They'll have practices where none of the players can speak. They have mindful eating. Like it's, it's crazy what he's doing. It's, it's awesome because I've taught a few NBA players to meditate, um, one of which then left the NBA. <laughs> Talk about his intuition. His manager was not happy with it. <laughs> um, but, you know, being an actress and teaching acting, this is basically all I ever did was give people tools to get into flow state. And, and you know, especially with the actors, basically what people need is the permission to fail. They need the permission to get it wrong and they mm-hmm. need repetition. Right. And, and the thing is, usually when we start repeating something, we try to get it right. We try to drill it in correctly so many times that it becomes rigid and stale. And so it's a fine line of doing the work, but doing the work with no effort. Right. We in the West, we confuse work and effort. Mm-hmm. We, we don't do the work that we know that we should do. And then when we do it, we effort our pants off. Mm-hmm. Same thing with meditation. People don't schedule the meditation. They don't do it every day. And then when they do it, they're like, oh, I'm going to meditate. And they try and really like effort through the meditation. Same thing with acting. People don't do the work that they know that they should. They don't rehearse the way they should. And then they get up like, oh, I'm going to try to act. Yeah. And then it's awful. But if you do the work with ease and effortlessness, then you allow nature to use you as a vessel. And that's what flow state is. That's what thinking fast is as it, as it applies to that book. Well, do you think then the when you say in the preparation, they almost exhaust their left brain, you're saying, in preparation, because that's when you're studying, you know, you're studying techniques, you're like analyzing it. So is that like another use, would you say then, for I the way the left you, and right brain works you together? You prepare to afford yourself the luxury of letting go. Mm-hmm. It's very much like packing your parachute and jumping out of the plane. Okay, if you haven't packed your parachute, then only a ding-dong is going to jump out of the plane. Yeah. But I don't really care how beautiful your parachute is and how elegantly you've packed it if you never actually jump out of the plane. Right. Right? So it's both. You have to do the work. You have to do the preparation. But then at some point, you have to be willing to surrender. You have to be willing to trust that nature knows better than you do, which is what that right brain is tapped into. Well, that's funny because they like at the at the bottom of everything you're, they see your intuition is actually just um, pattern recognition. Like so, like that's why the more that you do something or whatever, the more that the the easier it is to pick up on. But it's like who says that it's pattern recognition? Who says it? Um, it was in the book, the answers for Aristotle. Who wrote that? You know, um, Massimo Piliucci. I I just, I just love to know more about that because I, I I think I disagree with that because I think that you can only recognize patterns that you've seen and intuition is much smarter than our left brain identity. Like when you're actually in flow yeah. state, you're able to do things and learn things and see things and achieve things that your left brain human 
intellect has never seen before. Like even what's interesting, I'm reading a book right now about um, near-death experiences, like the neuroscience behind near-death experiences Mm -hmm. and people who are blind, who've been blind their whole lives and they'll have a near-death experience. Like they'll be dead for like four minutes and then they'll come back and they'll actually say, they'll be able to say the colors of the shirts of the people in the room with them. They'll know where the nurses were in the hospital. They'll know people down the hall and even like they're blind. And even people whose eyes were closed who had a near-death experience, like it started happening with people who weren't blind, but they thought, well, maybe there was some sort of a yeah. mirror or video or something that they saw afterwards. But that was crazy to me that you I could mean, actually see things that your eyes haven't seen. So I don't know. I just, I mean, I know it sounds a little woo-woo and a little crazy, <laughs> but it's just interesting now that science is starting to back up that our, our right brain is able to know things that we haven't yet learned in our left brain human individuality. But I think that what the argument is that you can, that you're picking up on things like, for example, like the Dennis Rodman thing that he was like able to intuit where the bottle, like the ball was going to go. Yeah. Like there is a difference between your active conscious thought and then your intuition, but that it comes from like, like maybe you dated a bunch of really uh, horrible people who all had the same, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you had bad experiences with like guitar players or something. And then eventually you're like, that's a guitar player. I'm not going to do that like that's just maybe it's not conscious but it or or like actively conscious but that it's something that you have like a a reaction to that so that's ptsd that's that's when people have post-traumatic stress disorder and you've had some sort of trauma and then they're assigning that's your hurdy poos from the past assigning itself to potential hurdy poos in the future and that's the whole point of meditation so you can clear that stuff out so you can actually start to see things for what they are in the right now Okay. <laughs> no, and I, I think that's what's interesting because you, that is your intuition when sometimes you're like, yeah. okay, this is the fifth guitar player. <laughs> yeah. And then your intuition's kind of like, still like, hey, there's something different about this guitar player, but your mind's being like, no, like you've been here, like don't do this. And then you're like, well, the tricky part <laughs> is that if we don't listen, if we don't learn the lesson, then the lessons get louder and louder and louder. We have to actually learn whatever. Like, why do these guitar players keep showing up? Because nature's trying to teach you something. And if you don't learn it, then the lesson's going to get louder. Right. Well, at least for me personally, and I think this is maybe part of, uh, I think with the meditation, you de-excite the nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've personally started to learn more like what intuition feels like and where where it feels in my body and diff- like versus before, I think, you know, just any sensation that told you something, you would interpret as your gut. Right. Or like Versi- the universe is telling me to do something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Versus, you know, now I can, I feel like I literally do feel it in my gut, but then I also, I can feel something in my heart and mm-hmm. feeling something that's a bit more like all over or something that gives me a headache, literally. And I guess to your earlier point now about your body knowing things before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely harder when I am more stressed out or maybe I didn't do all my, my second meditation and things like that to be able to differentiate these different sensations because they will seem more like a blur. And um, one of my favorite exercises, I don't know if you told me this one, Emily, is to like, especially when I'm really overwhelmed, is just to label yeah. the feelings that mm. I'm having. Mm. So like sitting down and being like, okay, I feel guilty. I feel anger. I feel fr- whatever these things that I'm feeling. And then I guess being able to actually process them. And I guess uh, to what you were saying earlier, no, about like being able to separate um, these feelings from identifying from them. I almost like observe them. Mm. 
And sometimes I end up like finally will be able to cry, be able to like be angry, be able to like actually feel those things. And then you feel lighter and then you can actually start to hear what the actual intuition is. And maybe, you know, whether it is to really do something dramatic when there's the big loud voices of all the fears of why you shouldn't do those things. Um, so yeah, that, that's been something that's helpful. Good. And I feel like the meditation for you <laughs> help with that. Um, the thing that, so I don't think that particular exercise was for me, but something similar that I do recommend is that if you're feeling pretty uh, overwhelmed and you're having a lot of, uh, you know, stress release or just intense stuff coming up, that what you can do is notice it as a body sensation. So I don't even know that I would give it the power of like, I feel guilty or I am guilty yeah. or I am sad because that's just, sometimes we uh, then think that that stuff is happening to us. Mm. And so I think that what what can be more powerful or empowering is to sit down and, and say, <laughs> I'm feeling some heat in my chest right now. Instead of like, I'm angry. It's like, whoa, my stomach is acidic right now. Mm. Or instead of like, I'm scared. It's like, whoa, my heart is beating really quickly right now. My palms are sweating. My fingers are kind of shaking a little bit. And somehow it's a, it's a subtle distinction, but to me, it, it diminishes it a bit where it's like, I am not these feelings. This is, this is a physical body sensation that's happening to me. There's some quote that I heard once that said, you know, uh, before someone meditates, they say, you know, I am angry. And then they meditate for a year or two and they said, I'm, I'm feeling some anger. And after a few years of meditating, it's like, there's some heat happening in my chest. Yeah. So I guess I'm in the in-between. <laughs> yeah. I'm not identifying, but I'm definitely like, yeah. Yeah, I have this and it's taken over <laughs> and I can't do anything and about it. you for feeling it, right? Like there's no yeah. way around but through. We gotta yeah. feel it. Good for you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Emily. This is yeah. a very insightful conversation. Yeah, it's such a joy. I've never been interviewed by two people at the same time on the on a podcast. You Don't guys are change. awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so uh, you can check out Emily's um, website at zivameditation.com. Yep. And, uh, and then there's zivamind.com as well, which is the online training so that people can access from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you're, you're working on that's new that both people should be looking out for? Yeah, so many things. We're about to relaunch our website, actually, which I'm thrilled about, which maybe it'll be up by the time this comes out. And I'm developing a meditation for pregnancy program, which I'm really thrilled about. Oh, wow. I'm partnering up with someone else on that, actually. And I, I actually don't know what I can say about it, but look out for a meditation for pregnancy program soon. That's huge. And yeah, it's big. I'm like, we're generational like distressing. Generation. Yes. <laughs> and, and also, we've launched something called Ziva Eats, which is basically Ayurveda 101. And it's all about eating for your body type and for the seasons and the, and the, the relationship between food and meditation. Because as you've noticed, sometimes when you start meditating, your body gets so much more sensitive to food. And so it's, yeah. it's about bringing you back and uh, <laughs> giving you the tools to act in accordance, uh, not only with your mind, but also with your body. Yeah, because apparently you need to do both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> turns, out, turns out this is just a chemistry set that we've been given. Yeah, to do yeah. a body thing as well. Every oh, thought we think and every bite of food we eat impacts it. Awesome. So yeah, so check out, and she has like really great videos up on her website too, like about like sometimes if you're like about doubt or like like the Dr. Spock, um, was Captain the other guy, Captain Kirk one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really yeah, great hundreds actually. hundreds of videos on the Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, you can totally binge on those. Yeah, I do. When I'm having like a really bad day, I'm like, I'm going to go just look at videos. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so check it out. Um, and 
you know, let us know what you thought of this. Um, keep in touch with us. Uh, yeah. Have you ever felt really in touch with your intuition or not in yeah. touch with your intuition and what was going on there that got you to those places? Yeah. Share your stories, share your feedback. We love it. Um, at chill ambitious on all the social medias, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Periscope, Twitter, um, Periscope's really fun. You guys should really follow because we do pre-interviews. And oh, yeah, we did different. a pre-interview of Emily today. Yes. We got a little um, bit. And website is chillandambitious.com. Uh, we love you and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye, friends. Bye. I always knew. I always had a feeling. Call it intuition. I know, I know what, what I'm dealing. dealing. I always knew. I always had a feeling. Call it intuition. I know. I know.